This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. First Sunday of fall, uh, I remember being at a church in Atlanta years ago in the fall, and while they were putting the mic pack on me, the guy putting it on me said, hey, Ted, I just want you to know that the congregation really, they really won't be with you today. Like, it's always encouraging what you want to hear. And uh, he said, but I don't want you to take it personally, but they're not really going to be into it today because Georgia lost yesterday. I thought he was joking with me. I go, you're kidding with me. He goes, I'm dead serious. Uh, People will be mourning that loss. And so I'm grateful to live in a state where I think we kind of expect our team... uh, No, seriously, that that I don't, it doesn't really affect our Sunday morning service because I think if you go into Saturday with the expectation of loss, you, you, you do much better on Sunday uh, after the day. So I don't know what that's all about. But I got to tell you, I love fall, but I love fall because my wife loves fall. This is her favorite season of the year. And when we were taking our walks at 9 p.m. in July, you know, she walks me and the dogs every night before sunset but not in July. It was too hot. Like at 8 p.m., we were still at 95 degrees. And so she goes, we got to go do a twilight walk. But in July, all we talked about on our walks, it was fall. I mean, we just can't wait for fall. And I don't know, I could Google when official start to fall is, but for Amy Cunningham, it is September 1st. Now, I drink my coffee like a real American, uh, black, like nothing special. But this is the season of pumpkin spice lattes. And... We only do one, and, and you're like, well, why do you only do one? Well, because they're like 1,400 calories. That's why we don't do more. And, and we always, I think we wait till October. September 1st hits, Amy says to me, as we're driving errands on September 1st, swing into Starbucks, let's get our pumpkin spice latte. I go, on September 1st, I had to write down her order because I couldn't remember it. This is her order. Grande oat milk decaf, one pump pumpkin latte, double sleeve, no cup. I added that double sleeve, no cup. Uh, <laughs> And because I didn't want to remember that or make my own order, I said, make that too. And I kid you not, the guy said, that'll be 1370. To which I said back through the microphone, how do you sleep at night? Uh, and then went around and got my pumpkin spice decaf oat milk, because we all know milk comes from oats. Uh, so that's, and then this is my last fall thing. I got all sorts of fall stuff. But did you see that guy from Nebraska? It was in the news. It made news from Nebraska to celebrate his 60th birthday. He's been growing a pumpkin for 10 years. I didn't even know that. Who just found out for the first time in your life you can grow a pumpkin for 10 years? I thought they went with seasons like anything. He grew this pumpkin for 10 years. It was over 850 pounds. And he hollowed the thing out. And for his birthday celebration, he floated in it like a kayak 38 miles down the Missouri River. Now, when I read that, I'm like, our area has enough stereotypes (laughs) that we don't need to be floating gourds down Taney Como. Can I get an amen on that? But happy fall, y'all, as we uh, enter (laughs) into this time. I saw somebody yesterday post, hey, it's pumpkin spice latte season. Check on your baristas. Uh, So we start a new series today called Hope for broken hearts. And today's message is going to be heavy. 
I'm just going to tell you that. That's why we just had a little fall humor uh, before we enter into this. I actually asked the Lord to relieve me of this message on Wednesday. I didn't like where it was going. And uh, isn't that a good thing for a pastor to say, oh, I'm studying. Yeah, I'm not a really big one. Lord, give me something else. This is not, this is not what I want right here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Lamentations chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. It's right behind Jeremiah. And we're going to talk today in this very first message about what do you do? How do you find hope when your nation rejects God? And, oh, I have, I'm going to go where angels dare to try just a little bit with this message. But I, I, it's a heavy message, but I hope it's an encouraging message. Uh, I just ask that the Holy Spirit call you by name. The Holy Spirit calls me by name as I've been called by name all week long with this and with the text but over the next couple of weeks and through September in this series, Hope for Broken Hearts, uh, we're going to talk to the parent, to the grandparent who had a child, a grandchild who walked away from God and, and maybe even the family. We're going to talk to the spouse uh, who's dealing with a cheating spouse, an addicted spouse, a spouse that just one day decided it's over and walked away. How do you find hope in that situation? Maybe you're just, you just went through a bad breakup. You've been dating for a while, and you thought, this, this is the one. She's the one. He's the one. And the breakup was sudden, shocking, out of the blue. It came out of nowhere, and you're, just, you're dealing with a broken heart. There's some of you who have lost a loved one. We're going to end the series with that. Some of you have dealt with church hurt. We've all experienced church hurt in some form or fashion over the years, what do you do with rejection and, and people hurting you that call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ? Some of you just recently had a friend walk away after a long relationship. For others, it's a job, and for some, it's uh, a boss that maybe is just toxic and uh, is yeller and, and constantly abusive, maybe even, toward you. And you're just dealing with, what, what do I do if I have to walk away from this job? Maybe some of you dealt with a bankruptcy. Whatever, as Katie talked about a few moments ago, the, the brokenness is, the, the, the broken heart is for you. This is where we're starting this series in Psalm 34, verse 18. I want you to know this. Whatever your broken heart is about, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He is near. And we hope that you experience that comfort today and throughout this series as we look at it. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And over the last couple of years, and it's where we want to go today with this message, just dealing with a lot of folks in the church. And I'm, this is a local church message today. This is not some campaign stump speech, bring America back together. That's not what this is. This is for dealing with Woodland Hills Family Church and the people in here that are crushed by what's going on in our church and in our nation right now. And like so many of you seasoned believers in this church, and when I say seasoned believers, I'm not just talking about gray hair talking about those of you who've walked with the Lord for a while. Uh, I, I see it all the time in this church. It, it, it happens all the time. I call someone to minister to them, and they flip the script on me. And instead of a 20-minute phone call or even a coffee with someone to encourage them, the whole thing is flipped on me. And how are you, you doing, Ted? And I, I, I think I found the... the the thread, the common thread through all of it, it's just seasoned believers who have total confidence in the Lord. Like complete confidence and assurance in 
the character and promises of God, they're resting in that. So when you're trying to comfort them in their pain, their sorrow, or their grief, they're like, hey, God's got this. Ted, what's going on with you? And this week was no exception to that. It happens all the time in this church. I called yesterday uh, Jerry Buckley. Uh, He was in our last service to check on his wife, Kathy. And Kathy's watching uh, today from home. Kathy was given a sudden and shocking uh, cancer diagnosis, fast-moving, aggressive. I mean, was told you have to start chemo immediately to even see a year. And so I called Jerry yesterday. I just want to talk through it with him. And again, Jerry did what seasoned believers do in this church all the time. He flipped the script on me. Ted, tell me what's going on. How are you doing? I'm like, Jerry, you got this whole thing backwards. This is about me calling to pray with you, to encourage you. What are you doing? And man, we got into eschatology. We, we went everywhere. As I was talking to a man who's walked with the Lord for longer than I've been alive. And he was in the first service. I thanked him for that. And, and uh, we gave, uh, Kathy, I don't know if he's home yet, but we gave him... Uh, these flowers to bring to you to celebrate uh, your, uh, there it is on the back there. It was a monster uh, uh, flower. I always loved giving it. It was sitting up here for like the first 10 minutes of the message, and I talked to this group, uh, you know, right through it. But Kathy, we're, we're bringing these uh, flowers to you to celebrate your 52nd anniversary this month and say we rejoice and delight in you, and we praise your love more than wine. Uh, Thank you, too, for being a model, not just in marriage, but in how you walk with the Lord and how you're walking all of this out. And Kathy said what I've heard so many solid believers whose faith is just anchored in Christ say, I win either way. I win either way. Would you pray that God heals me and I get to be here with my family, my children, and my grandchildren? Uh, Or... Whatever, you know, as we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, for my good and for his glory, uh, if I'm not healed of this, I get to be face-to-face with Jesus. So would you pray with me? Let's pray for Kathy today. And I want Kathy to represent all of those in our church uh, and church family and those watching online who are are dealing with a broken heart right now from a diagnosis that uh, rocked them. And it may be a family member of yours. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, uh, Jerry and Kathy are like so many in this church who have walked with you for a long time, who uh, the assurance of their salvation, as we just sang, uh, the greatness of your faithfulness has been lived out in their life and in their marriage uh, all of these years. And now we get to walk alongside them through this very difficult season as a church family. And the very first thing we pray for Uh, through the power and the authority of the name of Jesus and through the power of his blood, we pray for healing for Kathy. We pray for a cancer count of zero. We pray for an immune system that's strong. We also praise you for the fact that the uh, side effects of of the first round of chemo uh, have, have been shockingly minimal, and so for that we're grateful. We pray for the doctors and the hospitals thanking you for them first and foremost for how quickly they responded to this and uh, got her in, got her the treatments that she needed. Uh, 
but we just claim the name of Jesus over her now and for healing. Thank you for her strong walk with you and for her uh, testimony and public profession of faith that she has made and has demonstrated before her family and friends in this church. Your word calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And as we enter into this series, we want to take the time uh, to mourn with the brokenhearted and to mourn with those who are experiencing loss. And whether that be the loss of health, to the loss of life, to the loss of a job or a spouse or a child, draw near to us as your word says you do when we draw near to you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray it. Amen. 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 Can I just tell you, uh, it's absolutely the best thing about the local church. Uh, it's, I love about the local church. Uh, that, that programming, you obviously get it, Woodland Hills is very important, but programming will always take a backseat to people and the purposes of God <laughs> in this church. And I'm just grateful for a church where we can take the moments and and... Uh, reflect on that and celebrate a marriage and to pray uh, for someone. So today, here's the question. Uh, I'm going to go where angels dare to trot. I ask for grace. I look down and see I have 18 minutes left, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm praising my Father in heaven for that. I don't want 30 minutes with this question. Uh, How do I find hope when devastated and sorrowful over the spiritual condition of our nation? How do I find hope? Where is it? I'm going to just give you just the the very first, it's not in your nation and it's not in a politician. And it never will be. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And, and I got to tell you, I, I have a whole section here that I was planning on putting on the screen, but then I turned it blue and blue in my notes means it's for me and could get me fired at other churches. And I may or may not share it depending on how everyone is receiving it. After the first service, I had 10 people that came up and go, can I read that blue real quick? I'm just, I'm dying to know. (laughs) No, Uh, you're not reading the blue. I condensed this whole section down to these two words. Let's talk about the tension. The tension that is in our church. And it's not just our church. It's churches I, I get to visit all across the country, and I hear it from pastor friends all the time. Renee Schleffer, I don't know if you remember when he was here. I don't want to throw him under the bus. We've been texting all week uh, about this message today, and what a godly man, godly pastor who's given me great insight, but he's, just, he's a pastor too, so it's not just this is the truth. This is how to share it. I was so encouraged by him, and, and I told him, I said, you know, I, just last week, I'll just give you one, like one week. In, in, in this tension that uh, I heard from someone that they can't be a member of Woodland Hills because the pastor is a Democrat. In the same week, I get an email that says, we're considering leaving the church because your conservative bent is coming out more and more in your sermons. And I want to be like, let's get these two people together for coffee. Because I'm trying to figure out <laughs> what is going on. And I'm just wondering... I'm just wondering, how do we navigate through this tension as a church? Can I give you the tension without you leaving mad? In the last service, during the tension, two people stood up to go to the bathroom during the tension. This is not the time to go to the bathroom. Okay? We will consider you a Democrat or 
a Republican, okay? We're just going to, or we'll call you both, all right? How about that? There goes an independent out the back door. So look at me. I have to let you feel the tension because it's there. You know what the tension has created in our country on both sides? Burn it all to the ground. Burn it all to the ground. You don't like the way something went down? Just tear it down. Burn it down. Start all over. And that is a right and a left issue in our country. Some of you are like, oh, I hate him. He needs to vote. No, keep with me. But then there are some of you in here who you want the good old days. You want the good old days. Actually, Solomon says we shouldn't ask why were the good old days better than these days. You know what? He said that question doesn't come from a place of wisdom. You know why? Because what you consider the good old days might be a period of time that the person you're sitting next to this morning would say, I don't want my family to go back to those days. Some of you picture the good old days, and I get it. I hear it. I get it. For you, you want to go back to a time. You're devastated and sorrowful over our nation, and you want Mayberry. You want a sheriff who doesn't need a gun. You want a deputy with one bullet who's somewhat competent to use that bullet. <laughs> and this is the tension. Let me, I'll go one more place with the tension and then we move on. There are some of you sorrowful. You, the, in this church right now, there are those of you who like we've kicked God out of the schools. We've kicked God out of this nation. We need to get back to a Judea, Judeo-Christian ethic. And on the other side, there's people, and I'm not saying in this country, I'm saying in this church, who look around and they say Christian nationalism, a relatively new term for many, I know, and it's still being defined, has so many different definitions out there, saying Christian nationalism has crept into our town and has crept into our church. And people this week, I know there was a reporter in town asking about it, asking me to define it for him. I'm like, man, there's so many definitions. So I wrote this, I shared it with Renee, I shared it with other pastors. And if you've never heard this term or you're hearing it, trust me, you're going to hear more about it. Here's what Christian nationalism is. It's allowing your patriotism to cross a line and turning your nation into an idol. That's what, that's what Christian nationalism is. We don't believe in Christian nationalism. But here's what I think some of the tension is as well. People are throwing patriotism out as well. Guess what? I'm here to tell you, and please don't clap for this. We don't that's not what I'm looking for at all in this. But get, you can pledge allegiance to the United States of American flag. You can sing the national anthem. You can root for your team. That, that, that's patriotism. But, but don't let it cross the line to where you elevate your citizenship in the United States above your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. You have a dual citizenship. And you, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is the priority. Over And I know this line is tricky. And there some of you are going, this is his Democrat side coming up. I'm making an observation of what's happening in this church right now and the tension. And the tension. I, 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 get, you know, I get called an idolater by critics for marriage. And you, if you're not on Twitter, uh, you wouldn't see it. I tell you to stay off Twitter. Uh, it's a toxic cesspool. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> But I've been, I've been accused of, of turning marriage into an idol because I speak every weekend on marriage and, I, I, and I, I ask my critics when they call me an idolater with marriage, like you've turned marriage into an idol. I said, can you help me find the line between what the Bible calls us to honor marriage and idolatry of marriage? And usually when I ask them to just give me a few bullet points on where that line is, the conversation ends. 
And I think the conversation with patriotism versus Christian nationalism is, I'm seeing that play out similar to the conversations I have about marriage. It's, it's, it's like, help me find that line, you know, where it crosses over and where it becomes an idol. And because, guess what? You can love your nation. You can honor your nation. But as a follower of Jesus, remember, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are to have a heart for the entire world. We're to care for the nations of the earth and that the gospel would go forth. We just took an offering, and in that offering, money from this church is going out to other nations of the earth, to missionaries, to meet the physical needs in communities like Morgora, Tanzania, and in Indonesia for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. This tension is in our church. It's in a lot of churches. And this is kind of like, this is our first, I only have 11 minutes left and I haven't even gotten to lamentation. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, I want us to come back to this and understand this as we move into another election this year and in two years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but with some of you within this tension, I'm just going to be honest, you, you've lost hope. You have no more hope. You have no more hope for the people of this nation than you do for any other nation around there. You're just like, it's, we're never, we're never going to. And you just have this very uh, dismal doomsday despair. And you need to be reminded today that there is hope in these very dark and trying times. Some of you have hope, but I would call it misplaced hope. You put your hope in a place where it doesn't belong. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton says this, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. And here's where we start today as we launch into this. We are a local church, not a political party. We're the family of God. And that means our leader is Jesus, not a politician. And it never will be. And for those who have lost hope or misplaced hope, keep this in mind. We will never find hope in people, places, or things. Your hope is not in your spouse. Your hope is not in your child. Your hope is not in your nation. Your hope is in one name and one name only, and that is the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. In Acts 4.12, we read, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. God exalted Jesus, we read in Philippians chapter 2, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and so we get this great book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's a funeral song. It's Jeremiah lamenting over the national tragedy of the Babylonians coming in and destroying Jerusalem in 586 BC, carrying off Judah into exile. 
He's an eyewitness account. And if you look at these books of the Bible in your Old Testament, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, is Jeremiah prophesying that this is going to happen. You keep rejecting God. You keep disobeying. You, you want nothing to do with him. This is what's going to happen. Lamentations is the book of the Bible that looks back on that. And he is expressing sorrow and grief. You really get this in chapters 1 and 2. The sorrow and grief that he has over this national tragedy. But even more than that, what brought the national tragedy on? And that was the people's rejection of God. And so he's going to paint this picture in chapters 1 and 2 of what he saw and the destruction in Jerusalem and in Judah. The people now in exile. In chapter 3, we get the turning point. And at the end of the book, we get what all of us should be doing when we have sorrow and when we are lamenting over what's going on in our nation. We should end every conversation and every prayer with a confession of trust. Just like the lament psalms. God, I'm hurting. The enemy is winning. And you don't seem to be involved in this. But it ends with, but we trust in you. No matter what's going on. In Lamentations 1... Jeremiah begins, he talks of Jerusalem, how deserted lies the city, God's city, of God's chosen people, once so full of people, how like, now he's going to personify it, like a widow is she who once was great among the nations, she who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave and it has flipped. In verse 3 of this same chapter, he moves to Judah, after affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile into Babylon. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. In chapter 2, verse 11, you get why we call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. In verse 11, it reads, my eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground. And I think all this tension we see in our country and all this tension that we see in our church We need to be reminded of the fact it is okay to be lamenting over what's going on. It's okay to be broken over this and to have a broken heart and to express that to God. Jeremiah is doing that in this song. Because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. But when you get to chapter 3, there's a turning point. And here's the turning point. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering and bitterness and gall. I re- will remember them well. In other words, when I focus on the devastation in Jerusalem and in Judah, he says, my soul is downcast within me. We get this. If, if, you want, if we were to give you a plan today to live in despair, like uh, we want everybody by this evening to be totally depressed. You know what I tell you to do? Go home. Have every meal in front of the TV. Don't leave the TV. Turn on the news and, and, and find every bad thing possible going on in our world and meditate on it. You'd be downcast by the end of the day. Some of you are there right now. That's why some of the women in here are hitting their husbands. This is why you're so grumpy. You're constantly, stop it. But that's what happens. When we focus on our surroundings, when we focus on what's going on, in the, and that becomes like all we think about and all we take in, it's our steady diet, all the bad, all the frustration, all the yelling, all the screaming, all the opinions on Facebook. A fool finds no satisfaction in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. So we got opinion after opinion. You're going to be downcast. You're going to live in despair. He said, but but watch this, verse 21. Yet this I call to mind. So there's something you must do. There's something I must do if I want hope. 
I have to change the way I think. And he says, I call to mind, and we'll see what that is in a second, and therefore I have hope. Well, well, here's what he's saying in these first two, three verses. Focusing on what's going on around you will fill you with despair. But as we're going to see in this text, focusing on the Lord's love, compassion, and faithfulness, the character and the promises of God, it will fill you with hope. And in Lamentations 3, he continues with that thought. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. And his compassions, they never fail. We've already been singing this morning. They are new every morning. Say it with me. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, don't you love that? I love that line. I t- how many of you talk to yourself all the time? Right? We pray, we talk to the Lord, but I talk to myself all the time. I got a verse for it right now, verse 24 of Lamentations 3. And how many of you, you win every argument you have with other people as you're talking to yourself? Would you raise your hand? Listen, you and I can debate over coffee and I lose, but when I get in the car, by the time I get home, I have won the debate. You were wrong on every front and I was right. He says, I say to myself, meaning I'm going to meditate on this, that the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And just so you know, in this text, waiting, which is something Americans love to do, we love waiting. Uh, Amazon Prime has really reinforced our desire to wait. Uh, but we, we hate waiting. But waiting and hoping in this text is not sitting there going, come on, come on, come on. Okay, right, I'm just going to calm down. Okay, I'm going to calm down. I'm going to be patient and wait. No, no. You know what wait and hope means in this text? A confident expectation. You know, this is the seasoned believer we were just talking about. You know that God will work out everything for his purpose and his glory. You rest in his character and in his promises. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good not just to wait. Here's another word we all like in our country, quietly. Quietly. You know, I long... I long to be that old man down at the landing, sitting on a bench, waiting for his wife while she's shopping. You've seen him. He doesn't say a whole lot. You walk by him and say hi, and this is all he does. 30 years from now, I'm 78. I pray you find me on the landing. Just sitting there. How you doing, sir? He's raised his family. He did his job. He's worked hard. He's full of opinions. But guess what? He's got nothing more to prove. Oh, we all need to be an old man on the landing. (laughs) Waiting quietly. Yes, you have opinions. You need to express them every moment of every day. No. And I think that's the other thing I see when I talk about seasoned believers who have a confident expectation in the Lord. When you call to comfort them and to minister to them, here's their response. I know the Lord's got this. It goes on, wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So I put together this week for myself what I'm just calling the hope plan. Just a hope plan. I know it just sounds simple, but just three simple things that I can be doing to be filled with more hope and to not live in despair when I look around and see all the nastiness going on in our country all the fighting and all the frustration and all the bitterness. And the first one is this, the hope plan. Be aware of what's going on in our country, but don't obsess over it. I'm not, never going to be one of these pastors that tells you stop watching the news. I think you need to watch the news. How else are you going to learn about the pumpkin guy floating down the Missouri River? I would never have had that understanding of 
but, but, I, but I would encourage you to limit your exposure to the news. You need to find out what's going on. We have an election coming up. I want to be an informed voter and vote well. And I have to watch, but I don't have to watch it 24-7 and obsess over it. I, I want to watch the news, and Amy asks me, what's going on in the world? And I'm just like... <laughs> Number two, call to mind. That's been my language this week from Lamentations 3. Call to mind God's character and promises. Meditate on those, on his faithfulness, on his love, on his compassions. And as you're focusing on that, I think the more we do that, at least to the third one, and this is for me, maybe not for you, speak less, pray more. When people ask you for your opinion on something, you can share it. But when they're like, so how does that make you feel? Just go. <laughs> because remember, we always want to end with the confession of trust. And that's what we get at the end of the book of Lamentations when Jeremiah says, you, Lord, reign forever. In all that's going on, you're the Lord of all the nations, over all the nations. You reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation, and all God's people said. Would you pray with me? Father, prepare our hearts for what's next in our nation. Not that we focus to become filled with despair, but that as believers in Christ Jesus, we always keep Jesus the main thing. We never put our hope or our trust in a nation or a politician or a system or scripture says horses, chariots. We're grateful for the country that you have us in. Many of us just, when we think about all that you have done in this nation and through this nation, we are overwhelmed with gratefulness. We're overwhelmed with gratefulness for those who fought and died for this nation. May we in all of that, all of that, remember that our hope is not in our nation, our military, others, politicians who are present, those who will come in the future, but that our hope is in the name that is above all names, and that is the name of Jesus. And the one today who's never placed faith in that name, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that he's been raised from the dead, that they would be saved. And we pray all of this in the authority of that name. And everyone agreed and said, amen. amen.